It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. That's our aim today. Thanks for being with us, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I am your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. And with me in the KFG studios, my fellow CFPs and business partners, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. It is very possible that you're going to learn something new today about one of the most versatile financial instruments available. The Roth IRA, the Swiss army knife of financial tools. And while it gets a lot of attention these days, it also has some very strange rules that come along with it. So we're going to share our top five obscure rules about the Roth IRA that you need to know and more coming up on today's episode. And we're hoping to get to questions from fans of the show. Thank you once again. Here's, here's our promise. We'd love for you to engage with the show and submit questions and when you do, well, I'll get back to you, okay? I'll just let you know the kind of quick thoughts there and hopefully um, help you in your situation. And then I'll put it in the queue for an upcoming program. If you need help, you know, reach out to us as well. We're happy to help you. And But if it's a question for the show, that's how we'll do it. Here's how you submit a question. Call or text 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. And also put one online wisemoneyshow.com and that turns into an email goes right to me and then all over social media that's where most people uh engage with the show and submit questions uh youtube channel facebook wherever and just search the wise money show and leave comments there all right so uh okay so follow me here follow me here i'm sitting in a conference room i just just graduated from michigan state university and graduated cum laude in finance. I didn't say that for any boastful reason, but I sort of studied and I, I cared and I was, you know, did did all right. And and I'm in a conference room. I just graduated and I started my career here at KFG. I'm in a meeting observing Kevin with a client and I'm taking notes. So my job is to take notes, capture action items, but then learn, okay? And Kevin is explaining what he calls a 24 karat gold Cadillac. Well, today he called it the, the uh, Swiss Army knife. But he used to call it a 24-karat gold Cadillac back when Cadillacs were cool, I guess. <laughs> this Roth IRA. Are they not cool still? No, they kind of are. I actually saw one driving in today that was pretty cool, one of the new ones. I'm like, how much does that thing cost? Anyway, um, but uh, <laughs> but he was talking about how you can put this money in after tax, gross tax deferred, and then retirement you can take it out track-free. And I'm tracking with them. And then he says something. He says something unique about the Roth IRA. And my face now, as a Lebanese individual, it's 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 olive color already. It's sort of, but it f- goes flush. And I'm like, oh my goodness, he just this is wrong. He's not. This is he's he's telling them something that is incorrect. But I bite my tongue because I'm just a pupil and I don't really know. And uh, and turns out Kevin's right. Kevin's right. And I think I owe a million bucks. No, no, <laughs> Kevin. Kevin was How right. How long did it take you to to not take that bet from? From oh, Kevin. Yeah, he, that, learned, that's something learned about to Kevin. never bet with Kevin. But people we, don't understand. I, 
what I do to try and get indentured servants here at Forward Financial <laughs> yeah. Group. I'll bet you a million dollars. I bet, <laughs> I bet the youngsters a million dollars on things that they're very confident and very wrong about. <laughs> and um, I think Brendan Handy owes me $3 million yeah. at the moment. So, so he'll be here for a with, while. With his brain power, though, he might he might break even here pretty soon. So. I'm not going double nothing with Brendan. <laughs> but here's the thing. Kevin was right. After the, after the meeting, I told Kevin, hey, I think you made a mistake. And he said, no, this is one of the obscure ways the Roth IRA works. And as I was coming up with, or I was thinking about this for the show, I was like, there's, there's actually five of them, five unique, weird rules with the Roth IRA that you need to know about. And, and I'll tell you the one that, that Kevin exposed here. But the first one is something I was just talking to some of our young folks, Brendan and Ben Chambers and a few others just uh, recently. And the first of our top five obscure rules with the Roth IRA or Roth 401k has to do with required minimum distribution. So you might know one of the benefits with the Roth IRA is do you need to take a required minimum distribution? No, you do not. But do you need to take a required minimum distribution from a Roth 401k? That answer is shockingly yes. Doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, but why? Like, is there a story behind this or is it just purely an oversight or... There's all kinds of inconsistencies in the internal revenue code, right? I mean, this is this is a tax code that just keeps getting layered upon layer upon layer, just added to it over time. And when when you make new rules that sometimes contradict old rules, it takes a while to get it cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And then other times they're just making new rules that are just sort of inconsistent. They're not really applying the same logic across the board. Yeah. And Roth 401ks have not been around as as long as... Roth IRAs, but uh, but this one is I, I I'm hoping I was I was wishing that you would have some sort of a story no. on why why this exists. But. Well, the story that I would share I, I don't I have no I I suspect the same thing Josh that there wasn't much um, oh geez I want to be respectful there wasn't much thinking going on in the room <laughs> when they were coming up with these rules and said you know and I don't think it was intentional that they made the Roth 401k have a different treatment than the Roth IRA. Um, so what do you do? Well, I was going to say, I mean, it, is there a reason why you would leave money in your Roth 401k when you retire or leave an employer anyway? I can't like, who, think who's going to bump into this rule. Right. And so th- this is the thing. I mean, does this, do you, do you, do you hear this rule and say, yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that Roth 401k. No way. No way. The Roth 401k, first and foremost, that is a it's a tax, it's a financial planning decision. It starts in in your tax planning, that area. Okay, are you in a low tax bracket today or high tax bracket today today? What do you expect for your tax situation moving forward? Working with your CFP on that. Then it's a cash flow decision. Because if you go Roth, you gotta come up with all the taxes as well. If you go pre-tax, you get a tax deduction, so it's cash flow. It's investment choice, you know, it's investment planning, it's retirement planning. Um, it's estate planning as well because of how these dollars transition. So you've got to look at your entire financial life to see should you do pre-tax or Roth. The fact that currently, under current law, a you have to take a required minimum distribution from a Roth 401k shouldn't enter the equation. On, on whether you should use it or not. Right. Because there is one way to avoid and, and delay your RMD. Keep working. Keep working. So if you're if you're building up 
dollars into a Roth 401k and you're still working past the age of 72, fine, no RMD required. Mm -hmm. But the point, Josh, that you're making is, well, once you retire, should you leave your Roth 401k in a Roth 401k or move it to a Roth IRA? And I don't see any reason why you'd leave it in the Roth 401k. Yeah, unless you had some amazing investment available to you there or some really inexpensive fee structure or something. But even there, why subject yourself to this requirement when if you just move it to a Roth IRA, now those required minimum distributions are gone. You don't have the government kind of breathing down your neck, making you pull money out of this account anymore. Yeah. So I, I agree with you, though. It, this is no reason whatsoever to avoid the Roth 401k. It is a fantastic tool for accumulating wealth in the future, getting money squirreled away after you've paid the taxes so that all the growth in the future is tax-free. That is unbelievable. Uh, there, You know what? Stay tuned, because there, there might be one reason why you'd want to leave it into a four, in, in the Roth 401k. Now, I don't think it's a, it's a legitimate reason. There's a way to plan around this, and we'll explain it. It has to do with one of the other obscure rules, but that might be the reason. Okay, so, so, so that's one. Um, second, with the, with the Roth 401k, I would be working with your certified financial planner right now to see, okay, what are the right investment tools to be using within the Roth 401k? Should you be going, you know, aggressive or uh, what's what's appropriate for you? Because if the benefit on the Roth IRA and the Roth 401k is after tax money in and then tax deferred, tax free growth, make sure you're using the right investment tool for that. Okay, that that has the most most potential for long term growth. We've got four other obscure rules that relate to the Roth IRA, Roth 401k. We've got that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Are you using a Roth IRA or Roth 401k to save up for your retirement, your financial future? If so, there's some really weird, some weird rules about how this thing works and you need to know them so you don't get yourself in a pickle. I mean, the first one that we shared, RMD, okay, if you say, oh, I don't need to do that from a Roth 401k and you miss it, oh, the penalty is only 50%. So we're going to help you with those right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, Wise Money Show. All right, so we're talking about the five, top five, obscure rules with the Roth 401k, Roth IRA. All right, and this next one is the one that I just graduated from Michigan State, and I'm sitting in a conference room. Kevin's explaining the Roth IRA, how it works and everything. Oh, and basically had to be in a position where contributing to the Roth IRA, the, the way I remember it, Kevin, and you probably don't remember this scenario, but um, it was in the client's best interest. You, you, they should, they should be contributing to the Roth IRA, but they just didn't understand it. And this was early 2000s. So the Roth IRA was still sort of new. It's not mm -hmm. in vogue. It wasn't in vogue like it is now. So you had to sort of say, listen to all these features and you shared, and I thought it was enough that, okay, Tax, tax deferred growth, tax-free withdrawal. Awesome. And then you said, but 
if you need this money back, you can take your basis out. You can take your contributions out at any time, no problem. And I'm like, there's no way that's possible. There, there's definitely going to be a penalty if you take your contributions back out before age 59 and a half. And is, is that true? What's, what are the rules? The rules are you can put it in today and take it out tomorrow. And, and the, the thinking behind this is that the IRS and the taxing authorities and really Congress, they, they're, they're happy to have you have as little money growing tax-free as possible. So the more money you put in, and these days you can put in six thousand and another thousand for a ketchup. So you could put in seven thousand if you're fifty or older, and your income is below a certain level, and you hop on one foot, tap, you know, <laughs> rub your belly, and pat your head. So I mean, the, so there, but there are there are ways to get the, these things funded, um, or there's a backdoor Roth IRA if you make too much. I mean, there's all kinds of really cool, creative opportunities and and ways to get this accomplished. You know, this is probably the number one feature on a Roth IRA that I talk about the least. <laughs> the number one, the, the top that I talk about so, the least. That's right, because it is, it's potential that it could be abused or that um, maybe you kind of short circuit the power of the Roth IRA because you always know in the back of your mind that it's it's more liquid than your other retirement accounts. You can put money in and pull your contributions back out. But in doing so, yeah, you might be solving a short-term problem, but you're you're creating potentially a long-term problem because those assets were there to build for a really long-term goal, a huge goal that you don't you don't achieve it by accident. It t- takes a lot of um, sacrifice, a lot of time, a lot of growth for you to be able to achieve retirement. And that's the primary purpose of a Roth IRA. So accessing your early contributions um, and not letting them fully mature and grow, you, you may regret it in the future, um, but it is possible. This is, okay, so vulnerable time. And we've got more to, to cover here, a lot more, but um, I, we all have financial mistakes. We all have financial regrets. So if your financial mistakes, if your financial regrets or the fact that you are, you are at one point in your financial life and you think you should be further along, if that's holding you back from talking to a certified financial planner, swallow your pride. Swallow your pride and go talk to a certified financial planner that does comprehensive financial planning. Why? Because they've made mistakes too, financially. And they've seen a whole bunch of other people make mistakes and can help you avoid those. For me, when Cindy and I were first married, she signed up for her health insurance through work. I signed up for mine. Everything was great. And we're trying to build our life together. And, you know, financially, we're very fortunate and blessed and all that sort of stuff. Well, we have a baby. We get pregnant. And we and Cindy starts going to get these ultrasounds and all this sort of stuff. And we start getting these bills in the mail. And we're like, uh, hey, honey, you got health insurance, right? And she's like, yeah, I do. And, uh, and so... We're like, what? Why? Why are we getting these charges then? It, th- as if we don't. And so she reached out to her employer, and her employer said, "Oh yeah, you know that group insurance that I told you we had? It's not group insurance. It's just individual health insurance policies that we sign people up for, and we forgot to put maternity coverage on yours." Oh, not kidding. And therefore, we were going to have this baby and had no insurance for, wow. for her. And so we, thankfully, we had some time. We had, by the time we realized this, we had about three months left, but we realized we were short. And it was, all right, what are our options? And guys, I had to do it. And, and should I have done credit cards? 
Should I have, you know, called a phone to friend or something like that? No, because I'm being independent and all that. We were in a pickle. Probably should have used credit cards because the interest would have been less or whatever. But we tapped a couple grand from the Roth, from our basis. And now that couple grand would be significantly more than that now. So it's a mistake. I regret it. Okay. And I also regret not doing the, not being thorough at that time. I didn't know. You know, we're in our early 20s. So I've got all every excuse in the book. Still a mistake, though. The intention is, it doesn't really matter. The, the truth yeah. is, should have been more careful. Yeah, for most of us, the way we learn these things, it, it, you don't know all the questions that you're supposed to ask on the front end of the deal, and so you find it out the hard way. And yeah. I call that tuition. It's, tuition is what you pay for your education. So that tuition has helped you, and it, and it certainly helped you help a number of clients. Yeah. The thing that I like about accessing the basis of your Roth IRA, even though you might say, well, that's, that's a bad idea, for a lot of folks that don't live in Indiana, Indiana has the best 529 plan in the world. Um, but if you don't live in Indiana um, or you don't, it, you have a, a certain feeling uh, about educating your children, I've seen a number of folks say, hey, listen, I'm going to use the Roth IRA and get a full head of steam going. And if I have to access my basis to help the kids with education, I will, but that's that's the for most folks that that want to use that feature, it's it's the backup to the backup plan. Yeah, it's not the primary option. Mm-hmm. All right, so so Roth four hundred one k just just by the way, uh, one of our fantastic financial planners at KFG, Ben Chambers, brought this up, showed me the source as well. I wasn't aware of this. If you want to take your basis or take a withdrawal from a Roth four hundred one k. Um, there's no way to just pull the basis. It comes out pro rata. It comes up. It comes out proportional, and so that uh, that's uh, kind of stinky uh, with the Roth 401k. All right. Well, now- here, here's why it matters, though. The portion that represents growth coming out to you is going to get taxed and penalized if you're under age 59 and a half. Yep. So yep. It, you don't have the option of just singling out that tax-free, very available money. They're going to give you a little bit of both. This third. This third obscure rule, I had a fan of the Wise Money Show reach out and he called in and I was in a meeting and he said, all right, pass a message along to Mike. Uh, I, on this show, this, this year, this episode number, at this minute, it's a six minute mark, Mike says something. And for every financial professional I have in my life, I have asked them this, and they all say that Mike's wrong. I need to know, is he wrong or is he right? And if so, send me the proof. And it has to do with this obscure rule. The five-year rule for the Roth IRA. Okay, we're going to talk about that. That's, that's, the, that's the third obscure rule of these top five, and we're going we're gonna to unpack that here in just a second. But does having a Roth 401k satisfy the five-year rule for the Roth IRA. And we have it on authority. It does not. It does not. Now, that doesn't make any sense. It does not. And that might be the reason why you might leave the Roth 401k in the Roth 401k for a season or longer than you need to. It's not you shouldn't, but that might be a reason. We're going to unpack this one more. And I got a lot more to hit coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 
the five-year rule for the Roth IRA. What in, the, what in the world is that? I mean, you're lucky if you've even heard of such a thing or you're a fan of the Wise Money Show because we talk about it from time to time. We're going to break it down. There's actually two five-year rules with the Roth and more obscure rules. That's what we're, we're helping you with right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast wherever you're you listen, I say something, did I mix something nope, up? No, you're good. Okay, good. Uh, every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Go check it out if you listen to podcasts wherever. I don't really care. Just search Wise Money Show. Follow us or, or subscribe to it or whatever you do and, and, and catch up on previous episodes. Okay, so we're talking about the five unique, obscure rules with Roth IRA, Roth 401k, the five-year rule. Okay, so there's two of them, and that's that's... Ooh, there's, oh, Josh, there's three. Josh Gregory. I uh, think. Okay. So that's the third that's the third and fourth obscure rules. It's really with the Roth. It's one, really one, one rule <laughs> with three components. We're going to talk about three different ways. That's an inside joke there. Okay. So the five-year rule. Josh, what, what's, what's that? What is the five-year rule with the Roth IRA? Okay. So we, we've got to uh, first recognize we're talking about a Roth IRA that you have been contributing money to. And we've said in earlier segments that when you've contributed money to a Roth IRA, you can pull your contributions back out tax-free anytime you want. doesn't matter your age or what you're going to do with it. So you have that flexibility. Now we're talking about, though, what if you start tapping into the growth or the accumulation, the earnings of the Roth IRA? Now you've got to pass some certain tests before you know for certain that it's going to be tax-free and penalty-free. That's one of the things we talk about all the time with the Roth IRA. It's it's a wonderful way to grow this money tax-free as long as you meet the requirements. And the requirements are that you have to be age 59 and a half, and you have to have had that account, you have to have been contributing to it at least five years ago. Okay, And that th- this was something that I recently learned. I-, I always thought it was five tax or five calendar years ago. Mm. But it's actually five tax years ago. Oh. So, you know, if... Better if, than five dog years ago. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I guess the, the point, though, is is when you contribute to a Roth IRA for the year 2020, let's say, it's treated as if it was contributed all the way back on January 1st of 2020. Mm-hmm. Even if you made that contribution in the spring of 2021. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I've always been more conservative on that and said, no, let's get it done by the end of the calendar year so that we get our five-year clock ticket. Yeah, I mean, they could change that rule at any time. They, they could. But, but here's the point. If, it's been, if the money uh, is in a Roth IRA that was opened five years ago, um, at least five years ago, and you're 59 and a half, and you start pulling money out and you're tapping into the growth, that's considered still a qualified distribution and you're not going to pay any taxes or penalties. Now, and and guys, correct me if I've missed something or there's some sort of exception, but um, it doesn't need to be that specific Roth IRA. You just correct. need to have had a Roth IRA for five years in your life. That's right. And so that's where I would tell you, you young bucks right now, um, that dates me. That that it, that that phrase even comes out of my mouth. Young um, bucks, young bucks. bucks. for you for you young bucks out there. Go put you know a, a silver dollar in that. No, uh, <laughs> p- open up a Roth IRA. Put twenty five bucks in there, right? I mean, right now you've got to have earned income to be able to contribute, but not too much, not too much. Mm-hmm. Then you're not allowed. 
But if you have some earned income, even for those grandkids of yours or those kids, get that Roth IRA open, get that five-year clock so that then this becomes an afterthought. Eh, I don't need to worry about this. Done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as I'm listening to you guys talk and you're talking about, well, they could change the rules, they could change the rules. The Roth IRA started in 1998. I had a full four years under my belt of financial planning before this even started. And I remember as we were setting these things up and helping people put $2,000 into a Roth IRA, they were saying, well, this is way too good to be true. They're going to change the rules. They're going to change the yeah. rules, aren't they? And it, it's, I would say it's always a possibility. Um, I don't think it's probable, but it is possible. Yeah. So, but I would not operate under the assumption or the hope or the belief that at some point one of these rules – that would foil my financial plan will get changed and my financial plan will work gloriously. Now, right. that's so that's the third top kind of weird, obscure rule. What about the fourth one is is another five-year rule, okay? And it has to deal with Roth conversion. So, Josh, I'm just going to tee up because you explained that first five-year rule where it actually made sense. Can, can you do the same with this one? I don't know. So... I think you first have to stop and recognize that the second way that you can get money into a Roth IRA is by taking money that's already in a traditional IRA and transferring it over to the Roth. We call that a Roth conversion. And uh, the, the first method was contributing new money, by the way. So this second method of doing a Roth conversion is a taxable event. And when, when you move money from an IRA to a Roth, whatever tax bracket you're in in that year, that's going to dictate how much of a tax hit you're going to take. Because money in a Roth IRA, the only money going into it has to be already taxed money. So it has to get taxed along the way. And after it's into the Roth IRA, then it has to stay there for five years before you can start tapping into that growth or those earnings that accumulation tax-free as well. Mm-hmm. You also have to be, uh, again, over age 59 and a half. So th- this rule of making you wait um, to, to access this money, um, we, we were kind of puzzling on what, why, why yeah, five why? years? I actually, right? I, and, and there's, there is an explanation. Oh, you just bumped your mic there. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> there is an explanation. I just always struggle. Like, so why, why would they... Why would they have come up with this? I, I don't know. I, to me, I was speculating on this that if they didn't have this rule and you did a conversion, remember, when you move money from an IRA to a Roth IRA, you pay the tax, but you don't pay a 10% penalty. Yeah. So if you were to, to do this maneuver and then a few weeks later just pull it right out of the Roth IRA, theoretically, you would have just dodged the 10% penalty. That's right. Unless... They, they get this, this five-year requirement in there as sort of a gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I, I assume it's just to try to close a loophole, make sure there's not some backdoor way to get money out of your traditional IRA and avoid a 10% penalty. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of. Why five years, though? I don't know. Yeah. If, most, if you're just starting from scratch and contributing, the five-year rule doesn't really mean a lot to you. Yeah. Because if you're putting six or seven grand in a year – the, the growth on that is, in theory, isn't going to be the meaningful part of it. Right. It's going to be the money I put in, and you can get that money back at any time. All right, let's sneak in this fifth obscure rule. And guys, there's more, but, but the top five, the, the, the fifth one that I've seen as a gotcha a lot is, is when you're doing that Roth conversion, Josh, you're right, it's taxable. Sometimes that catches people by surprise. 
if you're not yet 59 and a half, how do you cover those taxes? Should, should you withhold? Josh, you want to explain that one real quick? Um, yeah, this is a big one because as I was describing, moving money from the IRA to the Roth IRA, as long as it all goes into the Roth IRA, you pay your taxes but no penalties. If, however, it doesn't all land in the Roth IRA because some of it got sent off to Uncle Sam or to the state to cover the taxes, now you've got some money that technically didn't get converted. And if you're under age 59 and a half, that's an early withdrawal and you get taxed and penalized in a case like that. So the the better option is to do this Roth conversion already having some cash on hand, ready to pay the tax bill that you're proactively creating. And that way... All the money that leaves your IRA lands in the Roth IRA, no penalties. You're ready to stroke the check when it's time. And you might say, well, that's not fair. They're going to tax this money anyway. But what what would be holding you back from saying, well, let me do a Roth conversion. I'll withhold 99%. And that'd be a way of getting a huge refund and getting this money out of your IRA without paying a penalty on it. So. All right, we've got uh, fans of the show. We've got questions and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thanks for being with us. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. If you've missed anything, hey, I got good news for you. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go go to YouTube, search Wise Money Show, and then on top of the show, we've got next Wise Step videos come out every single business day that take one financial topic, apply it to your situation, like changing laws or like, like, should you do a Roth IRA or not? And some of those rules. So go check that out. Be a subscriber as well. Thank you. All right. Uh, we're into questions from fans of the show. We've got some good ones. And the list is long and distinguished. At the top of the list, my friend Rebecca shared these questions with me. We were talking. This was back this was months and months and months ago. So I apologize, Rebecca, if it's taken so long. But we chatted about it. And then I threw them in the queue for us to hit. And, uh, okay, so... Um, the question is, I, I've always preferred to pay cash for vehicles, but I'm hearing that you can get a better deal these days if you get a loan. Is that true? And if so, should I get a loan instead? So have you guys heard this? A couple things with vehicles right now. Number one, um, I so apparently the, um, the computer chip supply shortage is starting to hit vehicles as well. And so we could start seeing... Prices go up because inventories are low, demand stays high, as long as the government keeps printing money, and um, we could see some issues there. That's number one. Number two, either because of that or people are are thinking, hey, buying used is always better than buying new, the used car price index, all-time high. Now, I'm not even sure how they calculate that, but in some pockets— a used car is more expensive than a new a new car. You believe that? Hmm. Dave Ramsey must be flipping out. Hmm. Um, but anyway, but okay. So 
in order to get you to sign up for that credit card in college, they needed to give me a Frisbee. (laughs) And that was their way to get me connected and start paying interest and fees. And every time I swipe that car, they get some, some merchant fees. Um, but it was trying to get me hooked. So I'd pay interest to them. Well, so they offered me an incentive, a giveaway in order to hopefully collect my interest. The car, it's taken a long time, but the car manufacturers, car dealers are catching up to this. And that is, Hey, listen, I I understand you can pay cash, but we will offer you an incentive to take out a loan. We'll give Mm -hmm. you two grand off of this car if you finance it. Mm -hmm. And so what people are doing is is saying, and I, I heard this from a friend of mine. He's he's quite cheap, and I like to tease him about it. Um, but he was buying a new truck, and he told me about this a couple of years ago. And he said, he said, okay, I'll I'll finance it then. How long how how long do I have to have the loan? And they were like six months. And he was like, show me. And they said, well, I, let me show you. You got to keep it for six months. He said, show me in the contract. And there, it wasn't in the contract. Is so your friend from Missouri? He took uh, uh-huh. <laughs> he took the loan out and then paid it off the next the next week. Now it turns out he paid it off by selling some Tesla stock, so yeah, the loan would have been much cheaper. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, nowadays they've caught on to that, and it is there, there's a stipulation in there three months or six months or something in order to get that deal. So just weigh that out. But yeah, I mean that's an option. Should you take out a loan if you have the cash? What do you guys think? Well, it depends on a couple things. There is, I, I've done some searching. It's possible that you're offered a better deal because you're considering financing. So, uh, on the price of the vehicle? Yes. Like maybe you have more negotiating power mm-hmm. if if it's known to the seller that, hey, maybe we can, we can make some money on the finance side. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other thing is really just looking at opportunity cost. If I have... If I have the money to pay cash for a vehicle, I was talking to a client yesterday, and they have $65,000 in cash and want to buy a $53,000 vehicle. And I'm like, well, the, you know, that takes your cash reserves below the, the comfortable zone, and it kind of violates the three bank account system and does a number of things. So it probably needs to be off the table. Um, you may want to do a, a hefty down payment, yeah, and have a small loan, um, but right now the you know they're they're the loan rates are incredibly competitive zero percent point nine nine percent two percent. So if you can if you have a different purpose for that money or it can it can beat that get over that hurdle, you may want to uh, take them up on their offer. Yeah. Uh, that's the key, though, having a different purpose for the money and not just sitting on your cash, borrowing to pay the vehicle, and then going and just using that cash or spending it twice effectively. So if if you didn't have a disciplined game plan for what to do with the, the cash that you're holding, then the, the risk is that money kind of wanders off because you had a purpose in mind when you went to go buy the car. Now you don't really need it. And Lots of ideas can start popping into your head. Rebecca then followed up with this question here. I mean, with the amount of innovation going into vehicles these days, should you even buy right now? I mean, because in order to buy new, I mean, buying used, even just three years old, uh, yes, you should be able to get a better deal. But 
those prices have stayed high and the technology is way behind potentially even three, four, five years ago. Now, how important is that technology? Is it really worth it? You, you figure that out with your with your CFP. What? But with all of the tech going into vehicles, should you buy a new car that, I mean, really to get your money's worth, you should hold it for 10 to 15 years. But in 10 to 15 years, how much tech, I mean, will humans even be driving vehicles at that time? Therefore, should you lease? I shared my opinion with Rebecca. Guys, what are your thoughts? I think you look at a lease as a financial tool. And so I would never say, I'd never go to my toolbox and say, this is a good tool and that's a bad tool. So a lease in the right circumstances can be a good deal. Um, you might say, hey, listen, I'm I'm buying a vehicle that um, for, I have a, a purpose. And I've seen this in, in action. There was a financial incentive to buy a certain vehicle for this person. The, the repair... Uh, ratings and cost of maintaining the vehicle weren't stellar. So they said, okay, well, I'll lease it. But they had to get into this particular vehicle. So I'll lease this vehicle, and then all the repairs are taken care of. And that sounds a little obscure. The other reason could be, hey, listen, I'm only going to be in in this community for three years, and then I'm moving, and where I'm going, I'm not going to have a car. Okay, well, then you might want to just rent the car and give it back to them when you're done. Understanding the residual value of a lease and all of these things, it's pretty. It can be pretty complicated to understand, and so that's where I would say be 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 very careful when you're doing that, and make sure you're going in with your eyes wide open. But again, new technology might be a reason to say, "Hey, I'm going to lease." But you could accomplish the same thing as a lease by buying the car and selling it yourself at some point in the future. If you said, I could not stand the thought of ever having to sell a car myself, that might be the reason to lease. The the interesting thing, I I told Rebecca, yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting to think of, and that probably weighs in a lot. I mean, but along with everything else that Kevin said as you make that decision, but I wouldn't put technology up there as one of the big factors that should influence that decision. I don't, And, and actually the market thus far proves me right on that because the market for buying used vehicles is just way up and even buying that's new right. vehicles that's is way some up. Some supply and demand and everything going yeah. on there. But, you know, everyone has their own priorities. I mean, there's some folks who are just really into cutting edge technology. You know, the moment the new iPhone comes out, they're standing in line, you know, three days in advance in their in their tent waiting to get that. Uh, there's some who say, boy, I never want to be driving a vehicle that's more than two or three years old because they just keep coming out with more bells and whistles. And I want that fresh new car smell. And to me, that's fine. As long as you can afford that, because generally speaking, you're always going to be paying top dollar for that hot new thing. And I, I personally, I'm happy, you know, driving something three, four, five years old. That's not a big deal because if you're constantly upgrading to that three to four or five-year-old vehicle, you're always experiencing a technology upgrade. Now, yes, it's behind your friends who are getting the cutting-edge stuff, but you're still feeling the benefits of new technology coming out. Mm-hmm. So the, the question then is, do you want to be that early adopter always who's paying the very top price, 
Or are you going to be a little bit more of a bargain hunter under normal circumstances? I get the fact that it's just like, uh, remember the cash for clunkers deal when they were just scrapping all these vehicles oh, yeah. and just decimated the, the used car market. So used car prices took a leap forward at that time until they settled back down and more inventory built up. Maybe that same thing needs to happen over the next year or two. And uh, we get back to a more normal circumstance where you do, you, you save a chunk of money by buying something gently used as opposed to buying it brand new off the lot. Yep. Yep. There needs to be some, yeah, normalcy brought back. But there's a lot of weird things going on in the economy these days. You, you yeah. can't go through a pandemic and then print a gazillion dollars and think things operate like normal. So... Okay, I'm just looking through the list here of the different questions. Bitcoin, okay, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin. It's a question about Bitcoin. Um, no, okay, I found another one. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin coming up. I um, got another question here about cars here from Amber. Um, I know I need a new car next year as our family's growing. Is it best to pay off my 2018 car now so I get the full resale price or continue to pay monthly and putting the extra funds into a new car I'm not upside down on the car. It says a six-year loan. Boy, uh, you know, a 2018 car thinking, well, I need a new one. Okay, I think I know what's going on here. They've got two vehicles. I don't think she's talking about, well, I got to get rid of this 2018 car because the, the family's growing. Maybe it's, I, I, we have two vehicles. We have a loan on our existing one, and we also need to buy a new one. I think that's a, I think that's a scenario. So do you build up cash for that next down payment? Or do you work on paying off the 2018 car so that you can, you can, you have more cash flow to pay a, to get a loan on the next one? You, you see a preference here? Uh, to to me, I I'm seeing it as do you pay down debt on this car that may be going away, or do you build up resources in the bank? And I'm assuming that the the car loan is going to have a higher interest rate than what you would be earning in the bank. There's also the practicality of just getting the, the the cash flow freed up, the payment wiped out and everything. And then there's just the, the pragmatic thing that if you have that car paid off and you're going to go sell it, it's easier to do that with the title in hand than to be messing with a, a car that has a loan against it. For sure. The interesting thing is the the family is growing, so they need a bigger vehicle or different vehicle. But I know this, when we've had cash to buy vehicles, it has slowed down the process. And, and so it doesn't necessarily mean you need a new car. You just need a different car. So thanks for the question. All right. I hope that helps. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory and Kevin Corhorn, all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.